0: Downloads of this show are available on podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile I know, app. I can do it.
1: Okay, now. Yeah. Welcome to. Okay. Uh, welcome to Objective People, uh, live from Radio City, Brooklyn, at Madison Square.
0: Welcome to Radio Free Brooklyn. You're listening to Objection to the Rule. Today we are having a special guest. Please speak up and tell us your name.
2: Hi, I'm Kathy. Kathy Rivera.
0: And who do you represent? Um, myself. Oh, wonderful. <laughs>
3: okay. Hi. We're also going to be um, talking about the government shutdown reopen. And now we will have a new spending bill at least through the next month. But this one gives a big boost to the military budget while kicking the can can on DACA. We'll discuss this in details. Plus, the Winter Olympics opened with a unified Korean delegation. And even talks between the two countries will develop into something more. And today we're also joined, as we just mentioned, by a guest to talk about their experiences and struggles as a caretaker for her dad. You're listening to Objection to the Rule live on Radio Free Brooklyn.
1: Okay, so first we're going to talk about uh, the Olympics. The Olympics are underway in uh, Pyeongchang, South Korea. But it's not just the athletes making news at, uh, right now. A- an historic meeting uh, between the two Korean states is making headlines, as well as an invitation to South Korea to visit North Korea. Uh, North Korean official and the sister of Kim Jong-un, Kim uh, Yo-jong, represented North Korea at the ceremonies and in a meeting with President Moon Jae-in. She's the first high-ranking official to enter South Korea since the war. Uh, the two leaders met for several hours in what's been reported as a positive interaction, while a team of North Koreans entered South Korea to participate on a unified Korean Olympic delegation, complete with band and cheerleaders. Critics are saying that the talks of peace and unification may still be a distraction, and that any diplomatic talks must encourage North Korean in- nuclearization. So... What what do you guys think are the aims of this meeting, uh, Rosie? Do you think that it's just a distraction, or do you think we've got some uh, some real possibilities for unification?
0: You know what? I think that um, I said this on a on a on a few episodes ago when we first uh, received the news that uh, North and North Korea was going to come to the Olympics in South Korea, and I, what I really think is happening is, I think that they I think they've realized that they can't. Really be successful continuing on the diplomacy they're on. And I think that they've realized the best way to um, upset the United States of America is to drive a wedge between them and South Korea, their ally. And South Korea has, it is their wish that their neighbors would not be aggressive to them because it's a constant fear to them. And anything they can do to prevent aggression with their neighbor. That doesn't require them selling them their souls. I think they are open to listening to. And the United States has done everything it can. It has done everything it can to try to prevent that and to also uh, warn South Korea and to also um, to not believe that North Korea is sincere. And Kim, um, the sister of Kim Jong Un came at, with an invitation to the South Korea's leader to come and speak to the Supreme Leader of North Korea. Now, while I still understand that North Korea engages in a lot of human rights issues and they are an aggressive power, I think that they're trying a different way of approaching their own agenda because they're also cut off from the rest of the world. The only person that's sending stuff to them is China, and that's basically just rice and a few small luxuries. And I think that they need to connect with South Korea in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And one of the telling things, though, that I'll just include is that the North Koreans are not watching the Olympics, which I found to be an incredible disappointment because I thought for certain that they would be having the Olympics, at least the parts that the North Koreans are involved in, broadcasted. Right. But instead, in North Korean TV, um, they are showing patriotic songs, marches, parades, and 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 the normal state TV and radio that they have. So they don't even have access to this, to what's going on. They, I don't even know if they realize what's going on beyond their border. I find that very
3: interesting and and a bit telling also the fact that North Koreans aren't seeing this. Um, You know, I I have to wonder to myself (coughs) personally, um, part of this, we know North North Korea loves a good display and is Kim Jong-un sending his sister in it's part it's a display but it's a, it, it by doing this at the during the olympics um the entire world is seeing it except north korea um and it, you know so it's one of these like are we are we making it a point to do this now to show the world hey we're not what you know some of you think we are we're not you know what i mean it could be a little bit of part of the propaganda machine but also speaking of the propaganda machine by by not allowing north korea by but not um making uh visible to north korean citizens the olympic games it, they, that allows the government to spin a whole other story about what's actually really happening right um, which is it's kind of it's it's par for the course with them but i gotta wonder if part of this is like they don't want their own people to know that we're engaging like in these displays of diplomacy
1: i don't know what people's thoughts are on that right right it's interesting because it it it's hard to argue that it's not just a performance on the part of North Korea. If they're simply, uh, if they're, if it's one sided, if their own people can't see it, but they want, it's so important to them that they are a part of this. And it also, I think Rachel makes a good point. It's hard to continue to sell one narrative, one closed narrative to their people. If the people can see outside and see what other people are doing. Uh, any thoughts, Kathleen, our
2: guest? I, I, I honestly haven't. Okay.
4: <laughs> Great,
2: Ori, Ori, on the phones. <laughs>
4: hey, everyone, I think it's really interesting how captivated people have been with this story. I mean, even outside of the Olympics themselves, which typically are a big international thing, it kind of takes the energy and the, the, the attention of a lot of the world, this has been a central part of this story, this unification process between North Korea and South Korea and what it will result in. Um, I, I kind of agree with some of the things that have been mentioned. It's really odd that the people of North Korea don't have access to view this. So it's almost like the, the narrative is being formed for the rest of the world and then it's being painted a different way. Um, To the people of North Korea. And if you've seen some of the state announcements about this, you know, it it kind of speaks to this idea that they're not necessarily trying to be as diplomatic or as forward thinking or open as we tend to paint it um, here in the West and media in the West. So it it'll be interesting to see what happens after the the flame is burned is, is is burned out and after the games are closed, how these discussions unfold.
1: Right, that's a good point. Do we think that the only path to unification between the two Koreas and the larger international community can come through demilitarization? Is that is that one of those red lines we hear about a lot? Uh, Rachel, I'm
3: not sure how you can have that unification without some level of demilitarization given how militaristic that the culture is in mm-hmm. North Korea but I'm trying to think of other examples of unification and um, I, you know and I think or, or you know uh, collapse of like these kind of regimes um, you know access to information and exchange of ideas, I think, um, was a big part of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Think of the Glasnost policy, and I'm sure there was some demilitarization happening too. But a lot of that was information and openness and mm-hmm. op- more, and you know, trade that that played a, a big cult, you know, culture, information, economics played a, lo- a large role in that. Um, you know, when uh, we think of the German reunification, um, yeah, well, I mean, there was, I, I think, both sides just, I, I think, there were economic pressures, a lot of that both sides had to say, okay, we're going to physically knock down this wall. We're, we're ready for this. We're done. Um, but I, I think economic pressures tend to be a big part of this. Um, but I, you know, they just, I, I think some, I, I don't know if it can only come through demilitarization. Um, clearly there have to be some other things going on there. Some, mm-hmm. some other ingredients in the pot, but I imagine some demilitarization should need to happen because North Korea is just so, Mm-hmm. It's sent it, it, that that's what they put out there they're so about the parades and the military and and the police well, now we are that, too yeah right? well yeah yeah the, i was yeah, about to
4: say can we really low. draw that line in the sand <laughs> we, would have, to, we would have to we would
3: have to also we'd have to step up to the plate ourselves we can't be like guns are pointed at you now put yours down you know, it, right. it wouldn't work
1: right yeah you make a good <laughs> point about uh about openness policies as opposed to demilitarization like uh we have different standards, right, for the people we consider our friends having a mm-hmm. uh, huge destructive weaponry versus people we don't. We need we need mm-hmm. Iran and we need North Korea to de- denuclearize and to stop all production, but uh, you know, ally countries we don't have the same concerns.
4: Uh, rest- no, I think that's a really good point for sure. That there's these rules, these double rules for the countries that you know, we, we are friends with and ones that have, we've not enjoyed this more negative animosity with. We, we want to control them and control their ability to protect themselves. And we have the largest military installation as in the United States around the world. We have bases all over the world. And there are no calls for any reduction or removal of that. In fact, we're, you know, we've, we've just put a lot more money towards defense. So, is you know, is it kind of hypocritical? It, it you know, it seems to to activists shouldn't be looking for like a global demilitarization. Should we look at you know building peace through that method, where all countries look to reduce those harmful forces? You know, I, I'm not sure, but it, it is interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up uh, on our news discussion is the budget. Um, After an overnight shutdown uh, on Friday morning, a new spending bill was finally passed and signed through Congress, uh, and it's going to go through March 23rd. Uh, It'll include a big boost to government spending, and it's reported to push the deficit over a trillion dollars in 2019. Uh, So the the spending bill didn't make any concession on DACA, much to the chagrin of Democrats, uh, but Trump and Ryan are promising that talks will come. Um, it also adds $300 billion in additional spending, which is split between defense and health infrastructure and other costs, according to Reuters. The bill will extend government borrowing authority until the midterm, until after the midterm elections. And it includes funding for abstinence-only education, according to the NY Times, which is something to get used to. Um, so... I'm curious what you guys think uh will we see a resolution on daca and immigration uh coming out of any of this because we they, it keeps getting pushed down the line down the line and it doesn't it's not being addressed what do you guys think
2: I think we also keep seeing these shutdowns occur so I think eventually we, we'll be pressed to sort of make some kind of uh deal on it um it, is anyone concerned about the deficit anymore? Do people care about that? That Because like, it's a huge, huge number. And when you're walking through Union Square, you can see that ticker just sort of counting up and up and up and up. And it's like almost... Uh, it's just like an intangible right. amount, we're, amount. We're numb to that.
0: That yeah. ticker's been going.
5: It's been going. <laughs> I, don't
2: think, I, don't
0: think people under- I don't think people understand what is the consequences, what is the reality. They see the ticker, they see the numbers, and I don't think that they fully understand what it means when our deficit is that large. They don't understand the actual result of that. In, they just see that we have debt. And, and lots of people in this country carry debt, and they don't understand what it means when your country is carrying debt. And mm-hmm. I think that is part of the problem. And I also think that part of it is the legislators have engaged in... Incredible amounts of irresponsibility. It's not to say that the extra spending bill that was added was a big mistake. I think that the whole thing is a big mistake. The tax bill plus the extra spending, all of it have amounted to what will approach to be a great tra- tragedy. We are going to be in severe debt all over again, mm-hmm. which was something that we had to deal with before.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: I think. There are parallels between household debt that a lot of Americans are dealing with or not dealing with and, uh, you know, domestic debt that's uh, much larger. You know, in both situations, we're given the narrative that, you know, you're in debt temporarily, but then you're going to make up for it by what you earn as a country or as an individual, that it's okay to put things on cards or to put things on your deficit because the growth is going to overcome it.
3: Yeah, it, it's, it's the, I think, also part of, part of that narrative, which I think is a bit of a false narrative. If you work hard enough, mm-hmm. it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I, we, we live in this, our society is such, um, now, at least in, like I would say, New York City is an example of, as a part of the country where expectations are, are absurd. You know, the rents are so high. How does one survive without maybe, you know, going into debt? Because the, and, and, and the government's kind of functioning at that level, too. Maybe, maybe we need to rethink what is, Normal the Mm -hmm. way certain um, economic aspects of our society is structured, like no certain thing, we're going to debt because things cost that much. Certain things that you need, you need a roof over your head, and you need to eat food, cost that much. Why do they cost that much? We we got to look at the system. Some of these problems are really systemic, like things like food costs, transportation costs, and get to the root of it.
4: You well, and then something. look at the big debt that right. a lot of Americans have, <laughs> myself included, student loan debt. Yes. I mean, <laughs> amassing amounts of student loan debt, which the the writing on the wall is that, yeah, the, the, what the narrative that we're taught is that you you incur this debt, and it's an investment in your future, and then you'll get that great job after college, and you'll start paying and paying and paying, and 30 years later, hopefully, you've brought down the debt to enough where they'll wipe it away, um, but there are so many people that are aren't paying their debt or can't pay their debt or can't afford their student loan payments. And you know, these types of things are causing us, I think, to to that numbness that you were speaking of earlier of to the debt. You know, we we know we owe all this money. So what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that, you know we, elected a government, we as the people elected this government who wanted to curtail spending, that wanted to not frivolously waste money, not, you know, put a lot of debt on the nation. But here we have this spending bill um, that's incurring 300 billion additional dollars at 300 billion dollars. Like, it's like Austin Powers money. Yeah. I can't <laughs> imagine, you know, the, the, the just the enormous amounts. And, and I don't want to get into the debate on whether or not we need more military spending. You know, there are many, you know, people working hard in the military. There's You know, they deserve to be paid. I, I believe in the country's need to protect itself to a certain extent. And then also the other infrastructure costs that we're paying for. So, you know, it's not necessarily if the debt's valid. But then I guess there is that big question of is the debt valid and what is it going to and who do
0: we owe? as a country. We definitely need to spend more money on military parades, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, That's not up for debate. You gotta look at, you know, certain things you have to spend money on, like... I, I believe, I feel the government should be spending money on. And I think they're the sort of things that individuals, like as an individual, I need to spend money on. If I need, you know, medical care, yeah, I got to make mm-hmm. sure that I, you know, have, I'm asthmatic. I got to take my medicine every day, food, <laughs> shelter. Yeah. And I think things like that, I said don't cut spending for things like the ACA. Don't do that. But you might, but, you know, rather than going there um, and and maybe you need to look at what prevents people from being able to earned or Spend money that goes into the economy. The idea, like, you know, I think this this ridiculous retweet by Paul Ryan's a great example of, you know, it's like, hey, you know, this this one woman had. Uh, he he retweeted something someone had um, tweeted uh, basically like she and and apparently she responded to a Twitter poll. She's saying, you know, what, how much are you, are you seeing anything in your tax and your extra in your checks as a result of the Republican tax cut? And, and what can you do with that money? And it was the equivalent of like 50 bucks a year. This woman's getting or like like, 15 cents per paycheck. So it's like, yeah. And the thing is, it's kind of like, instead of just slashing, you know, taxes and, and, you know fifty bucks doesn't do much for you you know five thousand dollars a year. that's that that will make a difference on most people's lives. But instead of like thinking, i'm going to cut taxes, and that's going to be great for everyone because look at all this other expendable income they have have now, which what? fifty bucks a year. but 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 then we're not going to provide certain services or or keep in place programs that um make medicine food shelter right. education right. yeah. um uh, accessible that we gotta rethink that <laughs> a little bit we gotta you know you know provide certain things but then you know consider how do we you know tackle student loan debt yeah that that'd be a great I've read a few articles there are economic theorists um who who you know they put out they're like hey that this could actually stimulate the economy in major ways you know if, if we if we put into place certain student loan debt um forgiveness program. So I think we've got to rethink like, you know, how to save money mm-hmm. <laughs> you
1: know,
3: Definitely. as a country or or those those making the those budget ter- these budget decisions do. Um,
1: yeah, and you know, like there's a there's a lot of value in social services that we're not taking into account. You know, when you have an employment package by a traditional employer, they'll give you a certain salary and they'll give you certain health benefits and transportation and other benefits. And those the value of those benefits would be a much higher salary. So when we're cutting benefits to Americans and we're raising their, you know, so-called paycheck through lower taxes, they're not necessarily making up for what's lost. Right. So um, now we can have a chance to talk about the memos. Oh, the memos! Release the memos! What about the memos? <laughs> Uh, after a GOP memo on Russia was finally declassified by President Trump against the wishes of many, Trump held, including the FBI and Democrats, Trump held off on declassifying a Democratic response to that memo, citing that it includes sensitive information. The Democrats issued a response to the memo released by the uh, GOP, and their, their response accused the FBI of abusing authority on its investigation of. Campaign officials. The memo was reviewed by the FBI and the Department of Justice officials, and it was found to have reportedly contained sensitive material which could hinder law enforcement and weaken national security. Similar claims were made about the memo released on February second by uh, by the GOP leaders, but the memo was released anyway. Uh, the White House is saying that it's inclined to release the memo if changes are made. So. What do you guys think about that? Uh, do you think that the re- decision by ultimately by Trump to release one memo but not the other was purely partisan, or are we looking at, um, and you know,
0: inequality and sensitivity of information?
3: on that?
0: I can't figure out what the major issue with this. I feel like there's a. It's like a. There, I, I. This memo is all about trump creating a distraction he's so amazing at it like you know the porn star pops up just when something is about to happen to him and he needs to divert like uh the everyone from what he's actually doing and i think that if you notice this is coinciding with the Mueller investigation honing closer and closer to him mm-hmm. and it includes mm-hmm. it includes um uh is it rosenberg the justice uh, the uh the judge? Brad Rosenbl- yeah. Yeah. He is uh, he's being directly called out on this. And he is one of the people he's the person that's between Trump and Mueller. So in order for Trump to get Mueller, he has to get, you know, this one person. And it's so coincidental that as Mueller is just has requested him to come and answer questions, this suddenly surfaces and it's trying to incriminate the one person that would keep him from firing Mueller and also would put a cloud around this investigation. So to me, it's like I don't care if the Democrats memo comes out or I feel to myself that I see this release of the Republican memo for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just another thing to distract me from the serious business that's going on. I think he likes controlling information.
3: Thinks that's what he's doing here. I'll release this much and not that one. I mean, they, they, these were these were, we don't know what was in these things because they were it, it was information that was classified. We don't know originally, and I it, I I don't know. I think it's a distraction thing. I think it's also I think he likes to feel like he's controlling the flow of information, and okay. in some ways he is by saying I'll let this one out, but not that one. And, and, and yes, it's partisan, clearly, um, right. you know, his own party said, you know, maybe don't release this. Uh, but this other one from the other side of the aisle, yeah, he just decides right away, I'm not going to release. You know, and he does that anyway. It's, totally. it's, it's partisan. I think he's just trying to control flow of information.
0: And what, wait, one thing that you uh, that, um, you know, I was listening to NPR and they had uh, they were uh, they had an expert <coughs> talk about the process of being able to get permission to perform surveillance on an American and the process is not that easy. You don't show up and say, Hey, I'm going to watch this person. You have to have evidence. You have to, it's not that easy to get. And so they were talking about the fact that, uh, that if they were survei, uh, they were surveilling this, uh, an American that they have to go through this rigorous process in order to get the ability to do that. And that, uh, if they were able to present this sort of information, it would be the responsibility of the judge to allow it. And also, um, uh, there was an issue around, uh, Nunes himself. You know, he has been implicated in, hasn't he been implicated in the Russian, inve- uh, in the Russia investigation mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. And he's also has had issues, uh, as part of the ethics committee. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, as I'm, as all this is happening, I feel like, uh, Nunez is already like a tainted person with a tainted memo. And I don't know why we're even paying attention right, as a yeah. country and why we'd even bother to release it. It just it, uh, I'm, I'm astounded every day as a country. We, we become more and more absurd. And I, I don't know when the levy will break and 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 we'll just oh, will there be chaos or will everyone be arrested? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I guess be, that's the logical conclusion
1: we'll to have this to conversation. i
0: watching The Simpsons
3: to find out because apparently they called this yeah. whole thing 20 years ago or something.
1: <laughs> right?
4: Right. Well, we've seen so much obstructionism, you know, and I feel like we're at this point where we are looking at what the government is doing on both sides and all sides and trying to figure out what are the goals beyond the goals. There's, there's, like, several levels of, like, you know, I don't know if I want to call it strategy or activity that's happening, um, and, and I feel like we're, we're at this point where everything has to be analyzed for the ulterior motive.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're going to take a break. Uh, coming up after the break, we'll talk with uh, Kathleen, who is... Uh, who's undertaking care of her father. So we'll discuss her experience with her family and her experience with New York Social Systems and uh, what's in place right now for elder care. Um, But first, let's take a listen to some music from Deatra, one of the bands that's going to play in our March Music Showcase, which is RFB Presents First Thursdays at the Well on March 1st. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn.
5: Need to free the hollow worlds inside of me. Once you show?
1: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule. That was Dietre. Uh Make sure to come out and hear them live in our monthly music showcase. RFB presents First Thursdays at the Well. This month it's on March 1st at the Well, which is at 272 Meserol Street in Brooklyn. Tickets are $8 in advance online or $10 at the door. Now let's get back to our next segment. Aging is something that happens to all of us, if we're lucky. We all get to a certain point, and we find the effects of age on our bodies and our minds. Um, but uh, for some of us, who takes care of us uh, when we age is a real problem, and it's something we don't all think about. Here in the studio uh, with us today is Kathleen, who's had to answer this question a lot earlier than a lot of us would have otherwise or cared to uh kathleen thank you for joining us hey
2: i'm happy to be here um kathleen can you tell us a little bit about yourself um you know i'm one of those artsy types (laughs) a musician writer um and my day job i work in one of uh like a notable music archive in in new york oh great
1: yeah well what kind of music do you do
2: me i it's like poetry rock Uh, maybe word (laughs) rock might be a good genre to create great
1: (laughs) um (laughs) thank you and uh can you tell us a little bit about your caretaking experience you've been taking uh a lot of the share of the care for your dad
2: i mean yeah so my dad is a, a latino gentleman in his 70s now and he's super active um Lived a really full life. Did a whole bunch of different jobs. He was a uh, um, um, uh, he did prison outreach and like Bible study uh, in prisons. And he was in the army. He was a machinist. That kind of traveled around Latin America, uh, repairing machines for a company, and uh, worked for the city for many, many years. Um, so super active. Uh, always did projects around the house. The last project he did, he actually replaced the entire front porch of the house by hand, which is like, I don't even know how someone does that, but he did. Um, But then in 2009, he came down with this semi-rare condition called Mm -hmm. Guillain-Barre, which affects uh, the uh, immune system of the body. And so the immune system starts attacking the nerve endings and actually causes kind of like a neurological disorder, the um The signals aren't sent between the nerves, and the body ends up uh, being incapable of moving. Wow, but then you also think about like all the other processes in the body. your heart is a muscle, you know everything works with your nerves, so it's uh it's been difficult. Yeah uh, yeah.
1: How old were you when that when that happened in 2009?
2: I was just starting college. Uh-huh. I was probably like 18, 19. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really surprising. He ended up falling down the stairs one day and he fractured a rib. And when we went to the hospital, they did a spinal tap. They discovered this enzyme Mm -hmm. and it was the marker for Guillain-Barre.
1: And when he went to the hospital and they did the spinal tap, how did the diagnosis and how did the treatment play out in the beginning?
2: Well, um, there's a couple of treatments for Guillain-Barré. Um and he they said that there was an option for like IVIG, intravenous immunoglo- immunoglobulin treatment. And um ultimately he didn't receive it when he was at that hospital and he's never received treatment for this illness. How come? Um the cost is too high for the insurance that he has. Wow. Um, and it's it's a two-pronged assault, actually. It's that the insurance agency doesn't want to pay for the treatment. And the uh, hospital record-keeping these days is so poor that there's almost no communication between hospitals. So if he gets tested and it comes up like he has Guillain-Barre, another hospital won't get that report and therefore they'll say like oh it's some kind of spinal injury or something really? like that and they'll just write it off like that really yeah. and
1: that's happened to your family that
2: has happened yes that's
1: that's so rough and and it so it's a factor of the insurance and it's also a factor of what the hospitals are willing to to do and to diagnose
2: definitely i mean it's since it's an immunological disorder there's a lot of stuff um that comes along with it, he'll get a flu very easily and that flu will cause a a relapse of the illness because the body's immune system is like supercharged and angry after getting the flu. Um, and then they'll just kind of treat the flu. They won't treat that he's having a flare-up of Guillain-Barre. They'll wow. just say he's he's paralyzed, you know, he's bed-bound and he also has the flu. And that's a factor of costs. Definitely, I wow. would say. And...
1: How has this affected your life and your family these
2: challenges um, I mean like a hundred percent different, mm-hmm. um, especially my father being so active before um, that kind of energy in the house was always a huge factor um, mm, I have you know two siblings that uh, are married have children, live in other states, mm-hmm. or you know live farther away in New York. um, And so they're not able to really be as present as my mother and I. Um, And my mother is also, you know, approaching her 70s now. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a difficult uh, position for her to be in. And it's also a difficult position for me to be in being someone in my 20s where society is telling you that you should be going out and traveling and seeing the world and, you know, um, getting that competitive job that keeps you there from eight to nine, you know, um, that's not a possibility for me right now um, because he is at home and we care for him at home.
1: Right. So how does, how how does that, uh, that helping out and that caretaking position play out for you within your family?
2: Um, I mean, I would say it, it took a lot of, Um, trial and error to see what was possible. You know, when I was in school, I I decided I would take a lot of time off to sort of be home and be helping mom. And we were both pretty scared at that point. You know, neither of us really understood what this illness was. And uh, we both needed like the moral support to get through. So we were like the buddy system, you know, you get through it, you stay home. Um, And now because you know it it stands to reason that in your 20s you have just put down roots and stuff like that my mother has been uh, more willing and more understanding of the fact that i you know start need to have this full-time job i need to have these experiences in my life so we break it into shifts she'll take like the morning shift which starts super early in the morning with medication and you know cleaning and changing of bed linens Um, And uh, during that time, I'll go to work and I'll come back in the afternoon, you know, after lunch and uh, do the sort of like the entertainment hour where it's like music therapy and watching old movies and new movies when they're good Um, and, you know, just sort of keeping his mind as active as possible. And then there's more medication and more cleaning and, you know, maybe a shave and a haircut and whatever and then we're probably getting to bed at around 1 a.m so it starts from like six with my mother and then we're in at one wow
1: and y- and between all that you uh you weave in all of the other parts of your life your job your music and
2: that's social life, e- you know. somehow yeah somehow i'm very tired, You're very tired. <laughs> but uh but yeah i i'm i'm pretty happy with um with the um with with what i'm doing right now yeah
1: do you think it's affected the way the way you see your life but also the way you see everybody else's lives to have this sort of uh split between your life as a 20 something and your life as a caretaker
2: yeah sure because there are well i mean there are some issues that arise in your 20s that i just think are like non-issues like you know, people can like get angry about their jobs, or you know, get angry about social situations. And I'm like, you know, I've got it pretty good. Like, I I understand the necessities of life, and for that, I'm I'm really, you know, I'm. It's good. I I know that it's been an edifying experience in that regard. Um, May I
0: interject with a quick question? Run in. Um, are home care attendants involved in your? Uh, life? It's a good question. We, his
2: insurance, um, his VA medical insurance covers a uh, nurse practitioner and she comes to the house once a month to give him a checkup. But other than that, any insurance that we have um, will only cover nursing for about a month.
0: What would happen if he didn't have a wife or any children and that he was by himself what would be the what would happen he okay well usually what they
2: say um the best course of action would be would be to go on medicaid which would take um like a a lawyer to come in and file all of this paperwork certain lawyers specialize in this um it can cost upwards of ten thousand dollars to get all of this work done um and then he would be in a nursing home full-time with a credit card that would have like a few hundred dollars on it for private spending. Um, But, you know, on top of that, the nursing facilities um, these days in New York are overcrowded and understaffed.
0: So the VA insurance is not sufficient to actually provide care for him, is what you're saying.
2: I would say that, Neither insurance is, is fully sufficient. He has, uh, you know, some private insurance due to his work as, uh, for, the, for the state, for New York State. Um, but, yeah, neither insurance is willing to give him a year-long nursing care um, or physical therapy or uh, any of those really important things. And even, you know, the VA also offers, they should offer like house modifications for people who have severe physical impairments. But uh, for his case, they've refused to as well.
0: How long has he been in this condition?
2: Uh, It's been a declination. So he got sick in 2009. It's 2018 right now, about nine years, 10 years. Um, And it's only gotten progressively worse.
0: Yeah, sorry, that was my next question. <laughs> so he's gotten progressively worse then.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, and there are certain things I would wish that insurance would cover, especially physical therapy. That's a huge deal. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just not in the, uh, the budget, I guess, for some reason. Right. right. Um, Coming
1: up after the break, uh, we're going to hear more from Kathleen about uh, how caring for her father has affected her life and her family's life. Uh, But right now we're going to listen to a little more Dietra. So uh, we'll be back shortly from uh, Objection to the Rule live on uh, Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome back to Radio Free Brooklyn's Objection to the Rule. Make sure to check out all of our shows on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com or take us everywhere by downloading the Radio Free Brooklyn app, which is available on iTunes and Google Play. Now let's continue our conversation with Kathleen. Welcome back, Kathleen. Hey. Hey. Uh, so I'm curious to hear why, why your family is choosing to care for your dad why why is this uh is this something that's happening at home rather than a full-time care facility?
2: Well, I mean, first off, um we're the kind of family that the dynamic is that like no person is left behind. So, um we would always choose to keep him at home and and make him as comfortable as we can and certainly um make sure that his health and like medical uh, care is taken care of you know do a good job of that um in addition to that though you know we've had experiences where he went to uh rehab facilities this was back when he could actually you know um hold up his own weight and maybe walk a little bit um and the insurance uh that he had at that time would not cover more than i think three months at a time he could stay at these rehab facilities. And so it, it was always um, bouncing around from place to place, from treatment to treatment. And we always found that he got the best um, and most dedicated amount of care at home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something, there's a very... I, I, I'm in constant awe and admiration of people who work in nursing home facilities and in hospitals because of, you know, the shoestring sort of budgets that they deal with the understaffing that they deal with and the constant
0: constant demand that they deal with as well and the patients they have to deal with people who might look down upon them or disrespect them yeah
2: definitely or who
0: are feeling their own pain and can't think about anyone else's pain that's right um it's it's a heavy
2: heavy job to take on and um i've met a a lot of really fantastic uh, nurses and doctors but at the same time, it does cause a burnout in some individuals, where they just sort of uh, give up and they neglect their duties and they neglect the patients, and you see that you see the effects on patients. Um, I
3: have a question. Um, obviously, money is always a factor in why services are denied. <laughs> um, but knowing, um, hearing what you're saying about your dad has um, there's insurance he had from work and also the VA. So he there there are some resources there from from which he. You, he, and the family can pull from. Do you think part of why uh, the dun- denial for like really effective therapies? Um, do you think it has anything to do with the fact that um, it, this isn't something? Uh, uh, this isn't a diagnosis. It's very well known. Um, do you think it's, it's? I don't know if it's technical. There is techni- a technical category of rare diseases, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and most many of them are things you, you never heard of, um, unless maybe you have a, like something like cystic fibrosis. Had. Um, uh, Boomer Asasis and the football player got behind it in certain organization. We don't re- we, we we know the term, and we know about cystic fibrosis now, but that's because somebody with some fame and some clout got behind it and and has done a lot of wonderful work. But you know, you forget that that's actually technically a rare disease. Do you, I don't know if this is technically a rare disease. Do you think um lack of information, therefore, study has anything to do with why he's getting, you know,
2: I mean, I, I eye treatments? I think it certainly plays a part um. I I've I've kind of followed it for a while um early on doctors when we would talk to them uh-huh. had, had little to no experience with this uh, illness and as time has progressed it seems like people we keep it, it seems like the information is getting out there uh-huh. and then people are learning more and more about it um so I mean that's certainly one one and like Guillain-Barre is not a household right like topic Um, not like polio was back in the day Uh or something like that. Um, but, uh, it could be that it, I, I would want to believe that when you like the insurance was looking over my father's, uh, chart, if there is a chart anymore, I'm not even sure if Uh they keep these files as well as they should, because it seems like every time we go to a hospital, they have forgotten his history somewhere along the line. Uh His, they only keep the files for like a year or something like that. Um, I would want to believe that they would treat him just as sort of like, you know, a person with impaired mobility, um, because he can pick up and use his arms and legs, but he can no longer sustain his own weight and walk. Um, so, so yeah, like, I, I, I want to believe that they would just treat the, the symptoms of the illness and not the illness itself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, it's obvious that this is a result of a larger picture, that there is a broken system Mm -hmm. that you're having to deal with and sacrifice as a result. What, in your opinion, do you think would need to happen in order for your father to be properly cared for and for you to be able to manage more easily his care, which is something that you have volunteered to do, even though he is your father, this is you're volunteering to do this. It's not a requirement.
2: Mm -hmm. Um I mean okay. So I feel like uh there's a certain amount of like legal representation that a person needs when dealing with their insurance companies all the time. Hmm. Um because it, the amount of work it takes to communicate with an agency like that is mind-numbing and almost it's just an almost an impossibility at times
0: um it's how they make their money
2: that's right that's right and then you know they they like bury their mistakes they don't have to worry about someone coming back from the dead and bringing all this evidence with them they have that assurance that eventually their problems solve themselves they don't have to pay and they can wait it out all right we're running out of time so
1: kathleen i'd like to hear what What you would like to tell people about elder care and what you think that people, younger people should know
2: about this. Um, Well, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to come down and talk about it today is that I find that a lot of young people are dealing with this now. Um, I have many, many friends that are caregivers for their family members, be it parents or grandparents. Um, And uh, I think that I I just think that it's a a huge issue. There's a whole... It's a broken system and it's a pharmaceutical industry that's taking advantage of uh, uh, people's good faith that they'll be taken care of when they're older. Um, But it's something that we really have to fight for. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these distractions that are going on in the news, they're distractions because these industries make money off of people and don't want to be talked about and don't want to be, you know, noticed. So focus on the important issues and, um, be really understanding for caregivers and their families, two caregivers and their families. Thank you. Two minutes. Thank, you. Thank you.
1: Um, and, uh, where can we, where can we follow you, Kathleen? Where, where can we hear more about your music work?
2: Um, so, uh, I have a band uh, out right now we're called doctor for the time being (laughs) if you want to follow us on instagram we're at dr band bk and you can follow me to kathleen underscore etc at instagram
0: what kind of music do you play
2: um i really love patty smith i'm all about words and poetry and meaning and really loud rock and roll so word rock poet rock
3: (laughs) great um if someone wanted to learn a little bit more about your dad's diagnosis, is there a place or a resource you might recommend a website or uh, oh an organization?
2: I would say, um, oh my God, uh, GBS Foundation actually has uh, multiple chapters all over the country and uh, annual meetings, so that's a really good place to go.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Uh, that's all for this week's objection to the rule. Uh, make sure to follow us.